You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem, bismillahir rahmanir rahim, in the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to another episode of The Breakfast Show here on the Voice of Islam radio station. You're listening to myself, Samar and Bashir, and we will be with you, God willing, all the way up until nine o'clock. So if you do have any questions, any remarks, any comments that you'd like to make, please feel free to do so. The number for you, as always, is 0208-687-7878. And of course, you can always uh, hit us up on our socials, on Twitter and on Instagram at Voice of Islam UK. Okay. Um, so as we usually do, we are going to be speaking about two uh, uh, main topics uh, for today. Um, in the first segment, we're going to be addressing inflation or recession. Uh, economists address global concerns. And in the second um, uh, part of the show, we're going to be speaking about mass shootings, the need for gun control. Um, and of course, we would love to hear from you. Uh, remember, this is your radio station, so we is, uh, so you can always voice your opinion over here. Um, like I said, the number for you, as always, is zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. So we'd like to get your intake on uh, both of these topics, especially uh, in regards to what you think. Um, uh, if there's a need for gun control, uh, especially uh, since uh, all of the mass shootings which have been taking place as well. Um, so if you would like to speak about that, then of course, by all means, you can hit us up on our line or on our socials as well. Um, before getting into the main topics, of course, we do a roundup of the news as well and the weather. So uh, similar to yesterday, um, the weather is exceptionally hot uh, and uh, sunny for uh, many parts of the UK today showery rain moving in from the southwest later on um so we have highs of 38 degrees and lows of 18 uh sunny and a moderate breeze for now and uh the uh, um if we if you look at the the uh, overall um weather for the UK today it's another exceptionally hot and sunny day for most areas uh, western areas will see cloud building through the afternoon without breaks of rain in places which will be heavy and thundery at times um tonight the band of heavy showery rain will uh, progress eastwards across england falling thundery in places clear spells developing elsewhere but rain will move into the far southwest later on um, if we look at the outlook for tomorrow, it will be uh, a cooler but more humid day. Uh, heavy showery rain will affect uh, southern and eastern areas of England, drier elsewhere with cloudy skies at first, but sunshine will develop later on. Um, if we look at the outlook for Thursday all the way up until Saturday, um, Thursday will be mostly cloudy in Scotland and Northern Ireland. It will be largely dry, but there will be the odd spot of rain at times. Sunnier in England and Wales. Um, and Friday is expected to be unsettled without breaks of rain at times. But there is some uncertainty on this. Uh, sunshine developing in the southwest later on. And Saturday will be mostly dry with sunshine for many. So that is the outlook 
um, from today all the way up until uh, Saturday. Um, going to the news headlines now, um, Earth sends a warning and Tory race wide open. <clears throat> So, uh, so just uh, soaring temperatures uh, across the UK, continuing to lead many of the papers. The Metro reports that the heatwave has brought school uh, and airport closures, caused roads to melt and forced hospitals to cancel operations. The paper says the highest temperature recorded on Monday was 38.1 degrees Celsius, but the UK record of uh, 38.7 uh, degrees Celsius set in July 2019 is expected to be broken on Tuesday on t- uh, um, today and the star is one of a number of papers um, to feature a picture of a policeman giving water to a member of the Queen's Guard outside Buckingham Palace on Monday the headline reads and you thought you were having a tough day um uh, a close-up of for one of the guards uh, dominates the front page of the Sun. The paper says the Britain that Britain is melting and that temperatures on Tuesday could reach as high as forty-one degrees. Um, uh, the Telegraph reports on warnings that the heat wave may leave emergency services unable to cope. Uh, the paper says that ambulance services are braced for a busy 24 hours and that temperatures were forecast to remain above 20 degrees um, overnight uh, conditions, uh, which can be deadly for elderly and vulnerable people as well. Uh, the heat wave is set to return next month, according to the Mirror. The paper quotes one weather expert saying the brutality of the heat we're expecting is astounding. Earth sends a warning, uh, reads the headline in the eye. The paper reports that temperatures in Wales already exceeded the hottest on record um, on Monday and quotes Prince Charles saying that the UK's uh, net uh, zero decarbonising commitments have never been more important. The Guardian says that Prime Minister Boris Johnson has been accused of checking out after missing meetings of the government's COBRA emergencies um, committee about the heat wave. The Conservative Party leadership race is now wide open as three of the four remaining candidates fight to secure a spot alongside Rishi Sunak in the final runoff, says The Times. In an interview with the paper, Foreign Secretary Liz Truss reportedly seeks to distance herself from the austerity of the Cameron years and vows to increase defence spending. But one of her supporters has told the paper that Monday was not a good night as she came third in the latest round um, of voting by Tory MPs. The Daily Mail says Trade Minister Penny Mordaunt's um, bid for number 10 has dramatically stalled after she won 82 votes in Monday's vote, uh, one down on the previous round. The f- uh, paper says it could be any one of uh, a- any of the three women left in the race who secures a spot in the final round. Mistrust could overhaul second-placed second placed hopeful Penny Mordaunt 
um, in the next round of voting if the Tory um, right gets behind her, uh, says the Daily Express. The paper quotes former Tory leader um, Ian Duncan Smith saying this is all about momentum. Liz Truss has gone forward. Penny has stalled. Um, And the Financial Times reports that the listing of chip manufacturer um, are arm on the London on the London Stock Exchange is on hold following the departure of Boris Johnson as Prime Minister. The paper says SoftBank, the Japanese holding company which owns arms, uh, Arm, had uh, considered a share sale in London only because of strong incentives offered by the Johnson government. And that work on the offering has in effect halted within the company. Um, So as you can see, a number of the papers focus on the penultimate uh, round of voting um, among Tory MPs in the party's leadership election set to take place on Tuesday evening. Um, The the Times says the race has been thrown wide open uh, after Kemi Badenoch and Liz Truss gained ground while Penny Mordaunt's support slipped slightly in the last round. The paper says the contest will culminate in a clash between Mordaunt and Truss for second place and that the key factor is likely to be Miss Badenoch's supporters shift their allegiance to uh, if she's eliminated. The Daily Telegraph agrees, stating in its uh, headline that Miss Badenoch is poised to be kingmaker as the contest reaches its crucial stages. Um, on its front page, the Daily Express uh, asks, can Truss turn up heat to battle Rishi in, uh, in runoff? Um, it believes the foreign secretary, who won 71 votes in the latest ballot, um, up seven on the previous round, is now gaining momentum, quote-unquote. The Sun, like many of the other papers, leads with the heat wave gripping the UK, declaring that Britain is melting. Um, it carries a close-up picture of one of the Queen's guardsmen outside Buckingham Palace sweating under his bearskin hat. A similar image is on the front page of the Daily Star, this time with a guardsman being uh, being given a drink of water while standing at his post. The headline reads, And you thought you were having a bad day, quote-unquote, like we mentioned earlier as well. Um, Blowtorch Britain is how the Daily Mirror sums up the situation. It predicts that temperatures today could reach 43 degrees Celsius, um, something it describes as a record breaker. Sorry, as a record baker. But the uh, Daily Mail is unsympathetic, uh, condemning what it describes as snowflake Britain for panicking over a two-day heatwave. Its leader column asks, whatever happened to keep calm and carry on? Um, the Guardian has a collection of photos of people across Britain dealing with the conditions in different ways. Some are enjoying a picnic, sitting in the shallows of Loch Lomond, uh, while a woman in Manchester is using a fan as a makeshift sunshade. And a and a man in Glasgow, 
Sorry. And a man in Glasgow is seen simply pouring a bottle of water over his head. Turning to the political aspect of the story, the paper reports that Prime Minister Boris Johnson has been accused of checking out after missing uh, meetings of the co- uh, government's COBRA emergency com- and the committee about the heat wave. The online uh, only um, independent focuses on a high court uh, judge's ruling yesterday that the government um, has failed to spell out adequately how it would achieve net zero carbon emissions by 2050. The campaigners who brought the case said the finding suggested the strategy was illegal and inadequate. But the Department for Business, uh, Energy and Industrial Strategy is quoted saying the judge made no criticism about the substance of our plans, which are well on track. Um, And the Financial Times reports that the listing of chip manufacturer Armour London Stock Exchange is on hold following the departure of Boris Johnson as Prime Minister. The paper says uh, SoftBank, the Japanese holding company which owns Arm, um, had considered a share sale in London only because of strong incentives offered uh, by the Johnson government and that work on the offering has, in effect, halted within the company, quote-unquote. Um, so these are the headlines. This is the overview of um, the various uh, different newspapers that we've mentioned today. Um, As you can see, most of them are uh, either talking about the vote um, or the heat. uh, And these are the two main um, uh, things which are being addressed over here. Um, And uh, um, obviously because of their importance as well. Um, We are going to be going into our first uh, topic for the day now, um, which, like I mentioned earlier, is in regards to inflation or recession um, as economists address global concerns. So basically, the recession calls are getting louder on Wall Street. But for many of the households and businesses who make up the world economy, um, the downturn is already here. Many of the world's leading businesses um, and leading economies sorry, will fall into a recession within the next 12 months as central banks move to aggressively tighten monetary policy to fight surging inflation. According to the chief economist uh, at brokerage f- uh, firm Nomura Holdings, this segment, um, um, uh, this is according to, to what they've said, uh, and this segment aims to look at the economic, uh, economic uh, outlook of the world in the coming months. But before we get into this and before we speak about uh, um, this whole topic as a whole, uh, 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 generally, um, first we need to understand what a recession really is. So this is an overall decrease in economic activities as a result of a, a drop in the gross domestic product for two consecutive quarters. A recession is characterized by high unemployment levels, low commodity prices, a fall in the price of assets, and low sales. This lowers the confidence in an economy. Uh, the number of recessions worldwide are about 33 since 1854. 
Um, although every recession is unique, um, some known causes of recession um, include the following. Um, low consumer confidence in the economy. Um, when consumers have low confidence in an economy, the spending habits change and uh, people only consume necessities. Um, another thing is high levels of unemployment. These result in low consumption, which in turn leads to a drop in the sales, like we just mentioned earlier as well. The um, employers I'm are hence sure uh, uh, employers are hence forced to cut costs. Uh, some positions may also become redundant. Uh, this leads to a high level of unemployment as well. Um, high interest rates. So this uh, uh, high interest rates limit liquidity, um, lowering the number of investments in an economy, a fall in housing prices and sales. So homeowners are forced to cut back on spending as a result of lost uh, equity, uh, deregulation. Some government uh, regulations may lead to recessions, bursting of bubbles and post-war slowdowns. Um, so, Bashir, these are the um, uh, a few of the uh, known causes of recessions, uh, which they include, isn't it? Like, mm-hmm. like we said earlier, they although every recession is unique in its own nature, um, these are the kind of similarities that uh, they have as well. Um, shall we speak about a little bit about what inflation is mm-hmm. as well for the benefit of our listeners? Yeah, so inflation essentially is an increase in the price of products and services over time in an economy. Subsequently, every unit of currency purchases uh, lesser services and products, hence weakening the currency as well. Inflation occurs as well uh, as a result of the growth of an economy, which leads to higher demand for products and services. As a result of this, this demand overpowers the supply, causing the prices to rise. Inflation is expressed as a percentage and indicates a decrease in the purchasing power of a currency. It is measured using the wholesale price index, which is um, the WPI, and the consumer price index, the CPI. Inflation is classified into demand pool inflation, which is inflation caused by an increase in the demand for products and services higher than an economy can produce, hence creating uh, a demand supply gap. Cost push inflation, which is an inflation caused by an increase in the cost of production, causing a price increase in the final products and building inflation, which is inflation caused by past events and persists in the present uh, as an effect, workers may demand an increase in wages, resulting in a rise in the costs of products and services. Um, but there's many historical instances and sort of case studies we can look at of economic crises um, uh, and historical instances of um, these situations. And some of the biggest financial crises are uh, incidents are shown um, in the following examples. The first one being the financial crisis of 2007 to 2008, which sparks the Great Recession, the most severe financial crisis since the Great Depression, and it wreaked havoc in financial markets around the world. 
triggered by the collapse of the housing bubble in the U.S. The crisis resulted in the collapse of Lehman uh, Brothers, one of the biggest investment banks in the world, uh, brought many key financial institutions and businesses to the brink of collapse and required government bailouts of unprecedented proportions. Uh, Jean-Pierre uh, Marcia was at the forefront of the crisis at the head of uh, Societe uh, Generale uh, Corporate and Investment Bank and had to manage the uh, aftermath of rogue trader uh, Jerome Curvio's uh, 4.9 billion uh, euros trading loss. Mm. Another uh, example is the Asia crisis, isn't it, from 1997 mm. to 1998. Um, in July 1997, Thailand's uh, currency, the baht, uh, collapsed when the government was forced into floating it on the open market. The country owed a huge amount of debt to foreign entities that it couldn't pay even off, pay off even before uh, the currency plummeted. Similarly to what was experienced in Latin America in the 1980s and present-day Europe, the crisis spread across the region with South Korea, Indonesia, Laos, Hong Kong and Malaysia also affected. Most Asian governments believed that they had the right economic and spending policies in place, but nonetheless, the crisis necessitated a US $40 billion bailout by the IMF. The Great Depression of 1929 to 1939 is also another example. Um, this was actually the worst financial and economic disaster of the 20th century. Many believe that the Great Depression <clears throat> was triggered by the Wall Street crash of 1929 and later exacerbated by the poor policy decisions of the US government. The depression lasted almost 10 years and resulted in massive loss of income, record unemployment rates and output loss, especially in industrialized nations. In the US, the unemployment rate hit almost 25% at the peak of the crisis in 1933. So um, this then leads us to another portion of this segment in which um, we should understand how we can best manage our finances as well, isn't it? Because um, if if uh, something like this does, play, uh, does take place, then obviously we should be ready mentally as well um, and we should know what kind of techniques and what kind of um, things we can do to best manage our finances so we don't um, fall uh, prey to this as well, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, definitely. So there's um, there's lots of things um, we can all do collectively, but individually you can track your spending to improve your finances. Better money management starts with spending awareness. Use a money management app like MoneyTrack to track spending across categories and see for yourself how much you're spending on non-essentials such as dining, entertainment and even that daily coffee. Once you've educated yourself on these habits, you can make a plan to improve. And you can also create a realistic monthly budget. Uh, using your monthly spending habits as well as your monthly take-home pay, um, you can set up a budget. You know you can uh, keep a realistic one. Create a budget that works with your lifestyle and your spending habits as well. You should see a budget as a way to encourage better habits such as cooking at home more often, but give yourself a realistic shot at meeting this budget. Uh, maybe it could be improving by 
perhaps like 3% every month or something like that. Build up your savings. Create an emergency fund that you can dip into when unforeseen circumstances strike, even if your contr uh, contributors are small. This fund can save you from uh, risky situations in which you're forced to borrow money at higher interest rates or possibly find yourself unable to pay all your bills on time. Another method is pay your bills on time every month. <coughs> Paying bills on time is an easy way to manage your money wisely. It comes with excellent benefits. Helps you avoid late fees and prioritizes essential spending. Strong on-time payment history can also lift your credit score and improve your interest rate. Uh, cut back on recurring charges. It's easy to forget about monthly subscriptions to streaming services and mobile apps that charge your bank account even when you don't regularly use these services. Uh, review your spending for charges like these and consider cancelling unnecessary sub subscriptions to hold on to more money each month. You know, it could be that um, you don't even know you're subscribed to something. You yeah. may have like signed up to th uh, free trial exactly. thirty days for something, yeah. and suddenly you're. That, that happens so. a few times, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah. No, no, that's definitely one uh, as well. Um, and obviously, there's there's saving up cash to afford big purchases. Mm. Uh, certain kinds of loans uh, and debt can be helpful when uh, making major purchases such as a house or even a car that you need right now. But for other big purchases, cash offers the safest and cheapest buying option. When you buy in cash, you avoid generating interest and creating a debt that requires months or often years to pay back. Um, in the meantime, that saved money can sit in a bank account and accumulate interest that can be put towards your purchase. Um, and last but not least, start an investment strategy. Uh, even if your ability to invest is limited, small contributions to investment across uh, investments, uh, investment accounts can help you use your earned uh, money to generate more income. So as we can see, there's um, uh, many tips that we've shared here, seven tips that we shared, um, all which are, of course, uh, uh, useful um, and can be used in our day-to-day -day lives. There's the monthly subscriptions. There's um, setting up a budget, knowing this much uh, and, and, and knowing exactly what's happening within the month, isn't it? That X amount of money is coming in, X amount is coming out on your um, monthly uh, bills and other such things. And um, um, and then you have your groceries, and then of course you can have um, a a section that you put aside for a rainy day um, or a holiday or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So these are the kind of things that we can do to best manage uh, our our money and our finances. Um, to speak more about this topic, uh, we do have with us on the line uh, Ursula uh, Constantini. Um, she uh, is an economic affairs officer at the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development based in Geneva, Switzerland. Assalamu peace be upon you, good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Good morning. Good morning and thank you for being with us. Um, we've spoken uh, about uh, what an inflation is and we've spoken about what a recession is as well. But can you educate our listeners on what the difference between the two is, please? Well, um, I mean, there are two very different things. One, uh, inflation pertains to, to prices and, uh, and recession pertains to, to real growth. Um, 
there are different types of inflation. One is a demand pool and one is cost pool. The demand pool means that essentially there's a, a, a demand that is higher than, uh, that it pushes to uh, the availability of goods, of the supply of goods, mm-hmm. and that makes prices increase. So that type of inflation in reality is uh, somehow a physiological aspect of growth because as the, the economy grows, uh, what drives the growth is demand and that pushes further production and investment. But be- before these new goods are produced, there is a physiological inflationary process, which is part of growth and it's a positive thing. Uh, it's a positive thing also because um, it affects the value of debts and uh, because it decreases as, as the money value of money decreases also the value of uh, accumulated debt decreases and that encourages further uh, credit and investment um, I'm not sure that that point is clear but that's an yeah. important aspect mm-hmm. of, of growth um, and then there's a, a different type of, of inflation, which is cost pool, uh, which is the one that we are seeing mostly today, especially in the UK and uh, and um, in Europe and uh, in many developing countries, uh, which is due to the fact that some uh, inputs of the production have increased in, pr- in price, and that affects the, the final price of products. So uh, that can be a problem, uh, especially if the incomes of the people who are supposed to purchase these goods uh, is not rising together with inflation. Uh, and uh, on the other hand, and that of course can create a, a recession because uh, obviously demand decreases and so uh, growth so or the rate of growth decreases and, and that's the definition of the recession. Mm-hmm. So we have different types of, of inflation. The one we have now is not necessarily a good inflation mm. uh, because it, it um, because of the effect it has on the relative incomes. So one important thing to understand about inflation mm-hmm. is that there's always a change in the relative prices as well. So there's an increase in the rate of growth of prices, but there's also a change in the relative prices. And that means that some gain more and some gain less. And there's a lot of emphasis today on uh, not letting wages increase um, for fear that that triggers a demand pool inflation. But uh, that is, in my view, uh, a complete mistake. There shouldn't be a a wage price spiral and in order to avoid that you need to increase investment, increase production, so that supply keeps up with demand. But you cannot suppress wages because then they don't keep up with this cost pool inflation, and that triggers a recession. And of course, then prices would fall eventually, but not necessarily all prices, because if uh, there's a a strong component of import prices that is Mm -hmm. increasing, domestic demand does not uh, have any effect on those prices. So of course, if oil is very expensive, that is because of international conditions and it's not because of internal demand. And so it's only going to create, to, to suppress wages or to keep wages to keep up, from keeping up uh, with the, with inflation uh, is only going to, to affect the purchasing power of uh, most of the population. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, I mean it's uh, very clear from that the uh, what the difference uh, between the two is, uh, and a little bit about uh, what's happening right now as well, and which which um, brings us to our next question in regards to what you think um, in in regards to a recession is it imminent uh, with the current state of the of the world, or can it still be avoided? What what are your thoughts on this? Well. A recession is always avoidable because it depends on the policies that are implemented. So there's a, sometimes the, the impression that things are unavoidable or um, inevitable in economics because they're driven from some kind of natural forces. But in reality, the, economic, the economy is uh, structured uh, and markets are structured exactly like we designed them. So uh, it's very important to understand that policies can do a lot and are already doing a lot. And right now what they're doing is that they are encouraging this recession in many parts of the world. Uh, I don't know if there's going to be a global recession because there are different parts of the world and different countries that are doing different things. Uh, China, for example, is not uh, tightening uh, monetary policy or fiscal policy, for example. So... Uh, that is going to contribute to global growth, but other countries, and especially developed countries, which uh, have actually less constraints than developing countries in investing and and contributing to global demand, are actually pulling back. So that's a a wrong policy decision uh, and is going to to lead to recessions uh, in those countries, uh, most likely, and for sure, they are not uh, con- going to contribute to global demand. And uh, that way, they are also increasing the constraints to developing countries, uh, which are going to have a harder time uh, developing, investing, growing, mm-hmm. and especially uh, investing in the climate transition. And uh, Ursula, is is the current state of... Um the economies around the world due to COVID alone, um, you know, we see so many um, world events happening like uh, the Ukraine and uh, Russian conflict. So do these, do factors such as these, do events such as these, um, you know, contribute to the state of uh, the fluctuation of what's happening in the economy or other other reasons as well? Well, there, there are always uh, some... Uh, shocks uh, that are identified as uh, the res- those responsible for the state of the economy. So one time is the fact that there are uh, you know, uh, uh, bad apples in the financial systems or system, or uh, it's COVID or it's uh, war uh, in, in Ukraine. But and there's some truth to all these reasons. But the main point is that our economy is very fragile, very financialized, and uh, and as such uh, exposed to such crises, and that's the main problem. And so we should uh, try to. And it, let me say something about the, the food um, emergency, for example. We know that we are going to have increased uh, situations of uh, extreme climate events. Um, and that is going to affect crops, obviously. Uh, we also know that our um, uh, 
global value chain and the the, the supply the, the supply of goods is uh, uh, organized internationally in a way that is exposed to local disruptions that then affect uh, supply uh, overall uh, in all over the world. Uh, but nonetheless, we are not fixing that problem. That was evident uh, with COVID, and that is evident again now. Um, but uh, what happened is that for decades, the WTO prevented most developing countries from uh, hoarding uh, crops, for example, uh, in the name of free trade and free markets. And so these countries are not well equipped to face the situations of uh, scarcity uh, and disruptions of uh, global trade. Uh, or, uh, I don't know, there's a, uh, there's a difficulty in uh, planning for uh, uh, some kind of autonomy of countries and some kind of uh, a different way of uh, uh, doing agriculture in a more traditional and uh, local uh, determined way. So all, the, all these are policies that could be implemented, that could shield most countries, and especially the poor, the more, most vulnerable in, mm-hmm. within these countries from famine. But they're not being done. So every time we blame something, it happens. But the reality is that we should be equipped for those uh, situations because we know that they happen. And in terms of being equipped, so... What advice would you give for our listeners to protect their finances in situations uh, like these? Well, um, let me say this, that uh, as I mentioned before, there's a tendency to, 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 in situations of higher inflation, to uh, make people believe that there's a conflict of interest between wage earners and savers, and that uh, if uh, wages are uh, increased, then inflation would increase and the value of, cre- of savings would decrease. And that's a, a, a huge misunderstanding because uh, only if there's growth, savings are created. And so it's very important that uh, we do not create that type of political conflict between interests that actually are the same. Uh, so I would say that uh, workers should ask for higher wages and uh, savers should uh, support that. That's the best way to, to fight inflation, to fight recession. Uh, well, Ursula, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on today. Um, and we thank you My so pleasure. much for your time. Thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye. Goodbye. That was Ursula uh, Costantini, who is an economics affair, uh, affairs officer at the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development, based in Geneva, Switzerland. Um, it was a very interesting conversation there about uh, inflation, uh, recession, what we can do um, as individuals to tackle the problem, and also um, as workers as well. It's not just a sort of individual thing where um, you know you just protect your finances per se. But um, essentially, it's a sort of a team effort where, um, you know, people uh, who are in a position to give out wages uh, should be um, perhaps, um, you know, making changes yeah. which may not be uh, entirely beneficial to them. But this is this is the way you can tackle inflation. Yeah, no, no, most certainly. 
Um, and I mean, if we if we turn to the Holy Quran um, in regards to to this and what it teaches us, um, there, there's a reference of uh, chapter fifty nine, verse eight that I like to read out, and it states that whatever Allah has given to His Messenger as spoils from the people of the towns is for Allah, and for the Messenger, and for the near of kin, and the orphans, and the needy, and the wayfarer, that it may not circulate. Only among those who are rich, and whatsoever the messenger gives you, take it, and whatsoever he forbids you, abstain from that. And fear Allah, surely Allah is severe in retribution. So, of course, we can see that this verse illustrates how God Almighty has protected the rights of the poor and thereby greatly strengthened the foundations of the Islamic economic order and ensured that the economic condition does not worsen. If the economic system had been left alone and the rights of different parties had not been specified, all money would have accumulated in a ha- in a few hands and, and the poor would have continued to suffer in deprivation. And this is exactly what we're seeing today, isn't it? That because this is not being followed and this is not being practiced, um, it, it's it's uh, such a short, a small fraction of the world's population um, have, uh, have all of the wealth, basically, mm. you can mm. say, isn't it? Um, the Holy Quran therefore mandates that the m- money the government collects must not return to the rich, but instead be used for uplifting the less privileged uh, sections of society. Um, um, if we if we turn to another verse of the Holy Quran, chapter twenty, verse one hundred and nineteen, it states that it is provided for thee that thou wilt not hunger therein, nor wilt thou be naked. This verse points to the fact that providing food, clothing and housing to its people, which are their primary necessities of life, is the first duty of a civilized government. And that society can only be called civilized when all its members are provided with these necessities. And oftentimes you may uh, ask yourself that, how can I uh, look after myself, my family, uh, pay the wages, pay the uh, pay the bills. Sorry, um, and and still, uh, I, when I can't afford all of these things, um, mm. and there's a tradition um, in which uh, Hazrat Umar, I believe, may Allah be pleased with him, he said said that, um, or either he r- reported that the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stated that uh, if you have true reliance and trust in God Almighty. Then he will look after all of your provisions for you, provisions for you. So it's not about uh, saying that oh well, if I do this, then I'll accumulate a bit more uh, money and I'll be able to pay my bills. Or if I do this, then I'll be able to save some money and uh, and pay and pay my bills. Uh, of course, these are the things that we also need to do as well. Practically, we need to think about whatever we can. But at the same time, we need to have complete trust in God Almighty that He is the sustainer. He is the one who is looking after us. And it is He who will uh, uh, look out for all of these things and, and make sure that we don't go hungry or naked as well. We're going to be taking a short break. Here's the 8 o'clock news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording. And lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Uh, welcome back to the breakfast show here on The Voice of Islam after that short uh, break for the 8 o'clock news. Just before the news, we were talking about um, our topic uh, of the day, which um, is essentially about inflation and recessions. And 
what you know what causes um, these uh, events and you know what are the strategies around these events as well but um, uh, before uh, before the break, we also did have a guest we were speaking to. Very informative conversation uh, we had with Ursula um, about um, this topic in particular. But now we move on to our next guest uh, for this segment, who is Dr. Farooq Mahmoud, who is a senior lecturer teaching management, accounting, financial management and financial institutions at the London School of Economics and Kingston University London as well. He is a Chartered Management Accountant and Chartered Global Management Accountant and a Fellow of Higher Education Academy. Uh, Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Farouk, for joining us today on The Breakfast Show. Pakistan, brother. Thank you for having me on the show. And just to start things off, um, we are talking about you know inflation and recession so what do you think is the root cause of these inc- of the increased prices we're seeing uh, nowadays yeah that's a good question i think everyone's asked the same question but i think the answer needs to be um very straightforward for everyone to sort of follow uh, rather than just economic jargon rather than making it simply everyone's understanding. I mean, prices will rise, as we understand, and, and they'll always rise in any working economy. So rising price in itself is not a problem. Uh, it's called inflation. There's going to be a certain target inflation in any economy. For example, in the Western world, if, uh, how the number was ever brought up, that would be a, a, a question for debate. But 2% is seen as a good level of inflation on a yearly basis. Um, inflation could happen for a number of reasons. Uh, inflation or increase in prices, both we could use either, either term um, um, be both mean the same thing in our conversation. But if I were to use the word inflation, I would say inflation happens, first of all, the most simplest reason is when there is more demand of some goods than supply in the economy. Um, if demand goes up, that means the, uh, the price will go up, which is simple. And that's a good, it's a good thing in a sense because increase in demand means more production needed for the commodities and all kinds of goods and services. As a result, the economy will grow and GDP growth happens, and that really is, in other words, growth in the economy. There's also going to be some cost push kind of inflation where um, you know pr- production of goods become more expensive for some reasons. Uh, it could be uh, a, a one-off event, which economists like to call uh, it's a relatively new term in economics, you know, which is used by uh, Nassim Taleb, one of the economists. It's called black swan events. Something had happened just out of the blue, or something wasn't expected, and and then that could push the price of, of production. Um, so basically, I mean, these two I've just mentioned for simplicity that uh, demand pull inflation is 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 normal, but there's times when that becomes way more than it should be. It's the two percent. At the moment, people are saying in the UK we've got ten percent inflation. Um, and, and in America, something similar is happening. And the main reasons really um, are, are basically food and, and fuel. Um, and, and I would say, again, are black swan events one after the other that made it happen more and more. I mean, cyclically, prices, uh, not prices, recession, which we'll talk about, as I said, will happen anyway. Not, nothing to be scared of, per se. But unfortunately, we're we seeing that in the recent past, those one-off events 
or those reoccurrences happening far more regularly. Uh, we were faced with Brexit, uh, and there was people saying it was double whammy when the pandemic struck us, and now the uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict. And all these things together have exacerbated the problem. So I would say more of it is man-made problems than simply um, you know, the cycles that economy faces. Or, or, and therefore, solutions are easier than one would care to admit. And, you know, talking about solutions, perhaps not on a, um, a on a community level basis, um, but perhaps at an individual basis, what, what can be done to prevent or reduce the current inflation? Well, I think it's, 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 it's a very difficult question to answer uh, because you can't separate the two. You can't say the macroeconomic or geopolitical factors should be separated from the person level. Mm. Yes, of course, I think I can talk about that as well, but it would be important to give some background that what could be done to make it work better for everyone. In economics, the knee-jerk reaction we tend to have is that when, when the inflation goes up, or goes up out of control, I must say, then the central banks in this country, we've got Bank of England, in America it's called Fed Reserve, uh, in Pakistan, for example, they call it uh, uh, State Bank of Pakistan. So like these different countries have their own central banks. And those central banks will raise interest rates when inflation happens. Unfortunately, that is not the solution, because many people who are poorer, they would struggle more. And especially in America, when interest rates go up, the entire world suffers because the American dollar is used as a currency for exchange of commodities, and therefore, and also even repayment of loans by countries. Therefore, America, first of all, should not simply use a monetary policy, which means interest rates blindly increased. That is not the solution. I think the problem should be solved through the fiscal policy by the government, which means the taxes should be increased, taxes, taxing the richer a bit more uh, for some period, or even having some windfall tax to those firms that benefited from this war, which really are oil companies like Shell and BP and the likes. Now you ask the question about what can we do at person level. Indeed, first thing is stay sane. Don't become overly reactive on a personal level, just make simple decisions and stay afloat because mental health is more important. If, if one starts taking, becoming overwhelmed too much, then they will make wrong decisions. So firstly, look at your mental health very carefully. Um, then first of all, also, um, not first of all, I'm going to give you a few, uh, first thing is to be mentally sane. Second thing is try to uh, think about where you could save your money. You still can save, find savings somewhere. You must pay down your high interest credit balances, credit card balances, for example. People tend to have a lot of loans which are unnecessary. Some loans are inevitable, like your house mortgage. You can't do away that, with, that, with that loan. But there are other loans, like your motor car loan is an unnecessary loan. The luxury items, because why I'm saying loan is, is dangerous at a personal level, especially if you can't make your ends meet if you are at a lower, lower level of the socio-economic sort of uh, bracket, then, then it's a bigger problem because if you are servicing debt, which means you're paying interest, and that becomes a regular cost that you can't cut out from your life. And therefore, find ways where you will pay down your loan amounts. If, even if you are having a mortgage of a house, 
pay down a higher amount than the minimum they need, uh, if you can. Um, because at the moment, as you said, recession hasn't officially hit us, right? If you still have a job, then practically you still have a lot to be happy about. Because I, if you ask me that question, I can answer that. The, the poorer countries are suffering far more now because of the problem of the Western world, which, which if you have time, I discuss that. But for the time being, we are not really that bad in, in this developed world. If you still have your jobs, which you, most people have, they have not been fired. Uh, but if you haven't fired, then there's other ways to reskill yourself and learn those new skills to be able to switch jobs. And you could have then more, uh, you know, with different options available to life. Uh, and then do not make still do investments. That's a very, very important point to bear in mind. Because when economy, economic downturn happens, assets become cheaper. And that's the time to invest more. It's a funny one because people think perhaps investments are made when economy is booming. I would say you can make good purchases now. Things could be cheaper. And with the hope things will turn around, those things will pay rewards. I think sit around the dinner table and talk to your entire family about inflationary problems. And then discuss about how can we budget our expenditure. And everybody is brought on board to make decisions together. If you do it, chances are that you'll be able to find savings here and there. So don't panic. Discuss with family members. Those little things you, you can live without, perhaps make a choice for, for a short one. Maybe go, if you want to go to a holiday, for example, go to a cheaper place. You know, have something called, something called, you know, so-called staycation, probably. Go to some, some other place within the UK if it's, if it's something which is affordable. So these are the things where they are dispensable. Some, are, some expenses are indispensable. You can't do away with. You know, for example, food should not be um, compromised. Your healthy eating should be compromised. But perhaps you can compromise on unhealthy eating, for example. I mean, have less crisps, for example, and, and instead have fruits. All they're all expensive these days. But but those those um, substitutes will be beneficial for your health as well. But then see if you are going to gym regularly. Stop going to gym. Maybe start exercising at home. If you are driving a car and spending money on fuel, petrol. You can save on that as well and also stay healthy. So there are various ways we could do it. But I would, I would re-emphasize the point that it's very important to learn new skills. Read more. Learn more. Because everybody, if everybody can learn more without fail, and, and there's no age for learning, especially this is a, a, a nation. So many people find themselves vulnerable when they see that the robots are taking over. But then... You could make your IT skills a bit better, and those things which are now being, being automated, big data, how you understand big data, for example, those little things are completely new to this world, they become your new learning ideas. So yeah, make investments, start saving up, because God forbid, if you lose a job, and I still keep saying, it's not recession um, uh, by definition, because recession needs two consecutive quarters to have negative GDP. Again, I don't want to go to jargon because I don't think your morning um, listeners would like to hear jargon mm -hmm. at this time in the morning. But I would simply say that um, um, the uh, the importance of the fact uh, fact is that still we we are above the water. We still can plan ahead. That's important. So you're asking this question at the right time that people start saving up now. If you if you have a job, may Allah keep you keep your job and and don't lose it, but start saving up more and more to to save for the. Wednesday, yeah. 
And Dr. Farouk, you did mention, um, you know, um, you hinted at uh, the issues uh, within the developing world in terms of uh, economic situations. Would you would you please like to expand and elaborate on that? No, thank you very much. I, mean, I think it's an important question because we also have to be aware of the macroeconomic or geopolitical problems. I've already mentioned about the Russia-Ukraine conflict. And, and again, we can debate all morning who's at fault. Yes, of course, Russia should not do that. Aggressor should not ever, it should be condemned at the highest possible level. And I'm not a politician to respond to that question in a political sense, but unfortunately, those political events are having an impact on economic events, um, even financial events, which means financial market, as a result, a poor person becomes poor. Now, what happens, as I said to you earlier, um, and you use the word recession there, uh, well, recession is, and you, and people are saying recession is coming, and, and I think it's, it's pretty obvious, it's almost writing on the wall, that unless the right decisions are made, recession is inevitable. I would say that. Uh, because, because I said to you earlier that most rich countries have somehow believed that central banks would raise interest rates, that's a solution, that's the only solution to the problem of, of inflation. Okay, it works when uh, the, the, there's a normal economic, economic cycles. But we are going through anything but normal right now. And unfortunately, we have not seen normality in a, in a long time. Is it a divine, is it a divine intervention? Uh, is it something which humans could not control? I leave again to the listeners to decide. That's not me to pontificate on. But all I can say is that we're seeing more and more of these events that humans have dealt themselves, got themselves uh, into a mess and they find it very difficult to come out of it. If there is political will, they could come out of it. Now, I mentioned America. Unfortunately, the response with intriguing interest rates is not the solution. Actually, why is not the solution? And unfortunately, I can tell you, that is what they're going to do. That is what they're doing. America, UK, and other countries are interesting. That's the knee-jerk reaction, and that's totally wrong. If in recession was not going to happen, it will happen only because of the interest rates being hiked blindly. The reason is because interest rates going up means your mortgage becomes more expensive. That means the cost of living goes more, becomes higher. That means businesses become bankrupt because they can't pay the bills. That means people who are already poor, they can't afford basic amenities of life. And now think about the geopolitical problems of the poorer nations. American dollar is the currency for exchange. And are you aware that the British pound or even euro uh, in the recent past, they've both plummeted against the dollar? In other words, dollars become more expensive against the UK pound and euro. That is a problem. Because if you're importing anything from America, for example, if you are, although we're not that dependent on America, then you're paying more. But the bigger problem is, if you're paying a, some debt back in, 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 in dollar denominations, denomination, then certainly you're paying a higher amount because, inflation, because dollars become more expensive. Now, that problem is not that prevalent in this part of the world. It is a much bigger problem now in sub-Saharan Africa, in, in South Asia, like Pakistan and Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka has become bankrupt already. Pakistan is really on the verge of being a bankrupt country if, if it doesn't make the right decisions. Southeast Asia, even Indonesia, or, or I think Philippines, they are facing the same problem. So because you are dependent on the US dollar massively, if, you, if you're a net importing country, 
and you're paying to your suppliers in dollars, then you're paying more. Things are going to become much more expensive. We discussed 10% disinflation here, right? And that's an academic discussion. And, and I mentioned earlier that the, the rising prices is part of economic cycle. But sometimes it, the, the prices might rise specifically to certain items. We, the, the two items that we, on top of the list are, or two groups of items are, fuel and food in this part of the world, right? And, and, that's, and because fuel is probably at the start of the supply chain, everything requires fuel, and therefore everything has become more expensive. So, so just to explain why we're going to this mess is because fuel is in short supply because of the, uh, the conflict, and food again is in short supply because grain, and, 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 and I think grain is the most important commodity that Ukraine produces and uh, Russia produces oil. But there's a lot of dependence, and again, the longer this conflict goes on, longer the problem will, will sustain of inflation. So then I go back to this point that now the poorer nations, poorer people, are suffering hugely. Now, America, and, and so I come back to again to the start of my discussion, that if America takes an approach which is not selfish approach, which is selfless approach, and does not necessarily increase um, interest, because I said to you, interest increase at this stage, and people already are finding it difficult to make the ends meet, is the wrong timing. So... So unfortunately, the central banks, their, their toolkit is very limited. They would always look at interest rates, right? And that's how financial markets work. And again, we can discuss that on some other day, how financial markets work. But, but interest rates are at the heart of the financial discussion. But the economic discussion, which is the real economy talking about, is a different discussion altogether. Interest rates increase is the worst decision right now. So you should ask the question, what should the governments do then? Well, the governments cannot keep borrowing either. Because if you borrow, so how would you plug that gap? So a government is run, like any household is run, in, two, in, in a simple way. There's income, there's expenditure. And income comes from two sources. One, either it's going to be the government debt, sovereign debt is called, or it's going to be uh, from taxes. And the spending side, of course, is you know, doing good things, which is called government spending, could be uh, paying people that, you know, some, some sort of benefits or... Uh, you know, creating some new infrastructure uh, and so on and so forth. But I think the government, which is called the fiscal policy, government should intervene, not the central banks. That's my viewpoint. And it's not only me, I'm, I'm only saying this was my own personal view, but even some of the top economists like Joseph Stiglitz, I mean, I know he's recently said that in Australia, something similar, which I'm going to say here, is that you should not use the word fiscal, but I, this is what he actually meant, he, so basically, fiscal policy needs to be implemented, needs to come uh, uh, on the forefront rather than the monetary policy, which is interest rate. So fiscal policy means taxes. I'm not saying government should borrow more. Even that could also be part of fiscal policy. But I'm saying the other side of it, which is the, the tax side of it. Start taxing those people or those corporations that can sustain the pressure of higher tax. Not those people who can't sustain pressure. If you have a blanket interest rate, a blanket tax rate increase, you're going to destroy the poorer people's society. You must go. I mean, I'm also a great fan of wealth tax, which the West won't believe in. That's Islamic concept. Again, I'm not going to talk about Islamic concept here. Probably you, you guys are more qualified to talk about this. Wealth tax, which is a card or even, even, um, and, and that kind of philosophy is more sustainable for society in the long run. But I'm talking about short term problems. In the shorter term, you should look at carefully that if those corporations are taxed, something called so-called 
windfall tax. I mean, as I mentioned, I mentioned earlier, BP or, or Shell and the likes in America, um, Exxon Mobil and and, uh, and Chevron and those are companies that have benefited hugely, you know, hugely by this this war because they are the oil producing, they're the fuel producing companies. The the companies like uh, you know in this country like. Um, uh, the energy companies we have are different companies. I'm talking about the energy production companies. They have benefited hugely to profit, and they should be taxed. So I think that's a solution, in my view. Uh, and people, as I said earlier, we should really be careful because if America raises interest rates, a poor country in, in a far-flung place, sub-Saharan Africa, Zambia, for example, their inflation—I don't remember the exact numbers—but that's in the order of like 50% or something. So, so forget about the inflation in this country. Yes, we're discussing, we're discussing the problems of the man on the street here in this country. But why forget those people who are poor already? They've got 50% inflation. Is that something you live with? Nobody can. So, so if America, for a second, unfortunately we lack true statesmen in the world right now, I think Joe Biden should be an honorable man now. He should take the lead because it, and I tell you one, one more thing. If America raises interest rates, why does dollar become more expensive? The simple reason is because then saving money in American banks means you, you get more interest from it, right? And therefore, all the capital of the world will end up, that's what theory tells us, will end up in America. And therefore, the American dollar will keep becoming more and more expensive because people want to buy more dollar. And as a result, the countries will be short of dollar. And when they need to make a payment in dollar, they should buy more dollar, and the dollar becomes more expensive, right? And that is the problem for those poorer nations. So if, inter- and, and then what they do is, so America, then of course the rest will do the same. So um, Britain, for its own survival, will also increase, increase interest rates now, because British pound has gone down compared to the American dollar, and therefore every other nation will follow suit, right? And by doing so, that spiral we're gonna go in, into, unfortunately, God forbid, is not going to be a minor recession there. It will be, could be potentially a major depression. Who knows? So we're discussing recession here, but the problem is that unfortunately poor people have gone through depression already of both kinds of depression, the mental depression and economic depression. And now please don't destroy them completely. Please bring sanity into it. And the world can be a much better place. Forget about protectionism. Go, go back to globalism now. That, that was the beauty of the world in back in the 70s and 60s when globalization was happening. Now the trade wars are serving no one's purpose. This is a time to get together, not to break up in factions, um, more than ever before. And, and that's what I think I would say. I hope I haven't been overly emotive about the topic because that's not my place to be. But that is, in my view, the solution. Not at all, uh, Dr. Farouk. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on today and thank you so much for your um, very insightful uh, information um, uh, that you uh, left with us today. Thank you, Dr. Farouk. That was um, Dr. Farouk Mahmoud, uh, a senior lecturer teaching management, accounting, financial management and financial institutions at the London School of Economics and Kingston University, London. He is a chartered management accountant and chartered global management um, accountant and fellow of Higher Education Academy as well. And we thank him for his invaluable time and um, incredibly um, uh, 
detailed information that he provided with us and you know it kind of you know a conversation like that sort of leaves you with more questions um than than less you know because it seems like you kind of get into the whole topic and um sort of go through all those issues and you know it would be it would be nice to um talk about you know what how how did um the sort of america bounce back from the great depression in 1929 to where it is now what changes did it make and what what do the asian countries south eastern asian countries dr Fook was talking about uh, what what changes do they need to implement as well um to be able to um restore their status and you know not be in so much debt but um i do believe we have a short clip to play as well um this clip um, is uh, by Hazrat uh, Mirza Tahir Ahmed, who, um, the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, may uh, Allah have mercy on him. Answering the question, how does interest cause inflation at a meeting in August 1984? The bank rate system has direct bearing with the prices and values. And it, the relationship is now growing into a mechanical relationship. Take half a percent or one percent and uh, it would show its effect on the values and prices in the market. So they are like a machine, move one part, the other parts of the machine are connected through wheels and things. So however slight may be the effect on the wheel on the other end. But still it would move, it would not remain in the same position. Similarly, the modern economy is like a highly developed machine. And the central wheel of the economy is the interest. This is why in, in connection with all the modern financial problems, you always hear that because America has raised her interest rates, so this is what is happening to Germany. And because Japan has not lowered the interest rate, so this is what is happening to, to Africa and our European economy and so on and so forth. So they are continents apart, yet a small fluctuation in the interest rate is adversely affecting or favorably affecting the economy of some other country and their own as well, of course. So this is a very complicated affair which should not be discussed at this session, but uh, by illustrating um, certain examples how this this affects the other parts of the economy. This can be proved and you can ask any uh, student of eco economics. This is exactly what happens. I mean, there is no debate about it. So that was His Holiness, the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Ahmed, may Allah have mercy on his soul, answering the question of how interest causes inflation. Um, and uh, before we move on to our next topic, uh, Dr. Farooq Mahmood uh, just touched on this as well, the, the concept of zakat, isn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, something which we've spoken about here on the Voice of Islam radio station many a time before as well. Um, and whenever we talk about anything uh, related to finances, uh, this is always uh, this always comes up as well because of its uh, importance. Um, and this is basically uh, uh, similar to, to what Dr. Farooq Mahmood was saying earlier as well um, in regards to taxing uh, the rich uh, more, isn't it? 
Uh, but this is this is uh, this is a the the concept of zakat is not just um, uh, taxing um, uh, one uh, a bunch of individual more and another bunch less uh, and another bunch even more or even less. Rather, it's the same amount. It's a percentage, two point five percent, and this is on a wealth that has been accumulated for over a year and hasn't been untouched. Um, and when it when it increases a uh, more than a certain point. Right. So after after that point, um, which I, I think roughly these days is around three thousand, maybe two hundred or so. Um, if you have more than that um, uh, accumulated for for over a year and it hasn't been uh, hasn't been touched, then you would give two point five percent of uh, of however much that money is. Right. Um, and and the reason for this and, and, and the money, sorry, which does get accumulated, it goes directly to the poor. So this is a way in which Islam has uh, um, has uh, wanted to bring a change and make sure that everyone in the society, everyone um, living um, in the the the, the uh, wherever where, wherever this is followed, um, is there's there's not that much of a gap between the rich and the poor, right? So because the rich are being taxed and it's being given to the poor. Um, and this is obviously the the opposite of what we see in modern day society, where interest is absolutely everywhere. Um, the 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 rich can 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 afford to pay for whatever they want on cash, um, and the poor are, are left uh, needed to take uh, int- uh, to take uh, loans in which they have to pay off uh, uh, pay off, of course, their debts, and because of the interest rates. It's sometimes it's their it's their whole life like uh, their whole life they're paying them paying it off, um, and and then sometimes even their children need to pay it off mm. after their demise as well, um, and so this is of course the complete opposite, um, and so rather than having uh, things of that nature, um, it should be uh, it, it, we should follow the concept of zakat within the uh, the society today as well, and that would make. A huge difference um, as well, and just one last thing before we move on to the last. Um, um, uh, it's, it's the second topic, and that is a reference of the promised Messiah uh, upon whom be peace. And he said that to fail to help a brother in their time of need or difficulty is utterly immoral and wrong as well. So if we see that uh, um, someone we know is going through a difficult time, then help them. It's uh, it's uh, if if you are in a position to help others, then of course you should do so. Um, it's not about only looking after yourself, but rather we should always be thinking about others. And this is a fundamental duty that we have as Muslims as well. Um, we're going to be going straight to our second topic for the day now: mass shootings, the need for gun control. So. There have already been more than 300 mass shootings this year in the U.S. alone, according to the Gun Violence Archive. The shooting in Denmark and, and at the 4th of July parade in Highland Park was one of 15 uh, mass shootings over the long weekend. There have been just over 100 since a rampage at an elementary school in uh, Uvalde. Uh, text um, left uh, 19 children and two children, teachers dead on May the 24th. The rising instance of violence leaves the question, what is needed for effective gun control? Um, we'll be speaking about 
why uh, cases have been on the rise, uh, what policies and laws are being suggested to control this um, um, according to what, however much time we have. But we did um, speak with uh, an expert in this regard as well, David J. Thomas, uh, PhD, um, and he's a senior research fellow, National Policing Institute uh, uh, Police Con- uh, Counseling Services at the LLC. Uh, so we'll be sharing our our conversation, our discussion that we had with him, um, and then start speaking about uh, these other topics uh, or these the sub topics that we mentioned uh, right now as well. Why is it legal for people to own guns in the U.S., whereas um, it isn't legal in other parts of the world? Because it was established in the Constitution when this country was founded that uh, in the Second Amendment that people had a right to bear arms. And so as a result of that, that is why we are allowed to carry and possess firearms. Right. And then how does the U.S. enforce the laws and the Constitution on having a gun? Well, we have a I'll put it this way. There's the U.S. Constitution and then we have 50 states and each state has its own individual constitution. And then that state has the right to kind of dictate how the firearms laws are going to be uh, be enforced. An example, um, some states have what they call constitutional carry, which means that every citizen in that state can carry a firearm on their person without ever having to go to a class and without ever having to be trained um, as long as they are not a convicted felon. And there are other states which require a permit in order to carry a firearm. And then in those states where you're required to have a permit, that means that the state has done a background. Usually they do a background investigation on you to make sure that you do not have a criminal history. And that allows, and that also ensures that you have gone to some sort of class in order to be able to learn how to handle the firearm safely. So it's up to the United States, the U.S. Constitution is the Second Amendment says citizens have a right to bear arms, but the Tenth Amendment says basically it's called home rule. And that rule, that means that the states have the ability to kind of, uh, they can create their own laws. They, They don't minimize what the U.S. Constitution says. They're not in conflict. Right. But then some people would argue that mass shootings occur as a direct result of people having the right to own those guns. Do you think better screening can prevent firearms from being sold to the wrong people? I don't think you can prevent that. Um, I think we can screen. I think the red flag laws are a very good beginning. But you also have to look at the social issues in this country where we have seen we have seen to I know I can honestly tell you that mental health has not been a priority for this country. Um, if it were cancer, you get all the money that you wanted for cancer research. Um, it was some other disease, but mental health seems to be one of those diseases that nobody really cares about um, until now. Now it's become a priority. But the question will become, and the question in this country is how long will it be a priority? How long will they fund the provide funding for it um, in order for people to get the services that they need? The other part of that, it's two of the shootings that we had in the one in Buffalo and um, oh God, I can't think of where the other one, but the, let's say the one in Buffalo for sure. There, Oh, and the one in Illinois, the last, the, the, well, there's so many of, but the Illinois and Buffalo, both of those kids, they had red, there were red flag laws associated with them, meaning that there was a mental health history. 
law enforcement failed to put in the information to block them from getting firearms. And so the system only works as long as everybody does their part. If they don't do their part, then you will consider you will still see failures. Another aspect of that, and you can shot me at any time. Uh, uh, another aspect of this is that we are. I don't necessarily like to use COVID and being cooped up and being you know isolated as a reason, but I like to. I, the one thing I will say is that people have access. People with mental health issues have access to the internet, and then they get to sit and they get to glorify mass shootings, or they get to understand, or in their mind, it becomes a way to solve problems for them. And so, and there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing you can do about that, especially in this country, because we are, you know, it, we're entitled to all these freedoms. So it's, it, it's a combination of things that, that have kind of put us at this point. That's that's very insightful answer. And I do agree where recently, especially with the pandemic, we've seen that people have been cooped up inside and that has led to a negative impact on mental health. Do you think that there's, um, well, there is not much that you know, can be done in terms of limiting internet time or anything because those right. limit freedoms, but what, what changes would you like the government to make to tackle these issues? The, the issues, I'm going to be honest with you, is that the, the mental health awareness has to be it has to become a priority and they have to start they ha- we have to start intervening where um, where there needs to be in in this in the United States and I live in Florida so I'll, I'll give you that as as a, uh, a for instance um, if a person if law enforcement gets a call and a person is a danger to, it is deemed that when they arrive that a person is a danger to themselves or a danger to others, Law enforcement has the right to take them into custody, not arrest them, but take them into custody and transport them to a mental health facility to be evaluated. They are there usually between 24 and 24 to 72 hours for that evaluation. In many instances, what happens during the course of that, it is people who have mental health issues that are already on medication. They are put on their back on their meds. The other thing on my side of this of being a, 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 a licensed therapist and having been a cop for those 20 years, I recognize that when people are, they don't like the way mental health patients don't like the way the meds make them feel and they want off of those meds. So they oftentimes turn to street drugs or illegal drugs in order to, to because they make them feel better. And so that that's the battle that you are constantly fighting in this country. Right. So then better mental health awareness and better treatment of people who might be suffering with these conditions would help. That's part of it. The other part of it is we're talking about kids. So schools have to be woefully aware. I know when um, after the the shooting at uh, here in Florida, it's Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, the shooting there. Interesting is that we Florida enacted legislation that there was supposed to be a, a, a assessment team in each school district in order to be able to deal with students who have mental health issues. And most of those school districts have yet to um, to bring that about, to bring those teams about. At every state university here in Florida, they have those teams, but they need to bring those about in the school district so that they can deal with that those issues in an effective manner to make sure that the kids get the treatment that they need. The other side to that coin is that the parents um, don't like to have their kids labeled. And so they they will fight tooth and nail or remove their kids from school. They'll do anything rather than have that label 
that their child has a mental health problem. And so that that it, it is such a mess. Um, and then the final piece of that puzzle is parents in many of these instances and some of these instances have literally went and bought their children guns, given them the guns, let them use shoot the guns. We're talking 15, 16 year old kids and say, this is my son's birthday is 15, year, 15 or 16 year old birthday gift. And then the kids turn around and go back and shoot, shoot people in school. There's a lack of common sense, I think, when it comes to guns and, and gun ownership and gun safety. And that was uh, the interview that we had with uh, David J. Thomas, uh, PhD, uh, Senior Research Fellow, National Policing Institute, um, uh, Police Counseling Services, sharing his thoughts with us. Um, wh- one thing that we do need to address and speak about is why uh, have cases been on the rise? So U.S. states uh, with more relaxed gun control laws are, and higher rates of gun ownership have higher rates of mass shootings, um, reveals a time trends analysis. And the gap in the rate of mass shootings between these states and those with more restrictive laws seems to have widened in recent years, the findings show. Uh, previous research suggested, uh, suggests that the that more relaxed Permissive uh, state laws and greater number numbers of gun owners um, are linked to higher rates of gun deaths by murder and suicide. But despite the seemingly disproportionate uh, occurrence of mass shootings in some states and not in others, it's not clear how legislation and ownership might influence this. Um, to to um, to to further uh, speak uh, about this topic. Uh, we do have with us on the line our next guest, Name Huck, who's serving in the Metropolitan Police since 2013, um, has been working uh, in a, a variety of roles, including emergency response, safer neighborhoods, intel-led uh, operations, and plainclothes operations. Also supporting the outreach department in promoting and driving recruitment of new police officers. Assalamu peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Wa alaikum salam. for having me. And Jazakla, thank you for being with us. And um, we're speaking about uh, mass shootings, the need for gun control. And, and, and the first question that we wanted to ask you in this regard was that some experts suggest that there is a link between the rise in mass shootings and worsening mental health rates. Uh, rates. Do you agree with this with this assessment? Um, yeah, well, it's a very interesting uh observation and an interesting question. Um, I was listening to the previous guest um, where he did mention, um, you know, there is a connection or possible connection with the two. And yeah, absolutely. Um, I think when there is a connection with, um, sorry, when there is a connection between um, someone who possesses um, a firearm, um, so like in the US, the Second Amendment, as mentioned previously, um, gives the citizens the right to bear arms, um, you know, without any further sort of licensing, like we have in the UK. Yeah. Um, if they have the freedom to possess and bear firearms, um, and they have underlying uh, mental health issues, it's it's a real danger. Um, so, um, to answer the question, yeah, I agree. There is there is a um, perhaps a connection between the two. Um, and if we see an increase in mass killings, which were perpetrated by uh, individual, an individual who was um, suffering from a mental health crisis, 
and you know it's only going to get worse. Mm. So you know to address this issue, I think absolutely um, the correct thing to do would be to um, um, firstly you know address the problem with an individual who well the thing is if there's no control with firearms how do we how do we know um, someone possessing a firearms does have mental health illnesses you know unless they were involved or if unless they have um, a medical record or you know a police record uh, indicating that a certain individual um, suffers from certain psychosis or um, issues affecting their mental health or their ability um, and in that case um, Again, you know, how do we control them possessing a firearm? It becomes a real dif difficult exercise. Um, I would like to mention that in the UK, um, you know, as most viewers or every viewer would know, as well as yourselves, that the laws are a lot, lot stricter um, mm. with reference to firearms. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, you know, for someone to request um, or possess a firearm, they need to go through a very um, difficult process. Um, it needs to be authorised. It needs to be um, signed off by, you know, a local uh, commander within the borough they live, and the individual's um, details are actually recorded on the police national computer. So a PNC would then record an individual's name, address, date of birth, and so forth as being a, a firearms holder. And again, it's not that straightforward. They need to the person requesting um, uh, to hold a firearm needs to provide a valid reason as to why they want to carry a firearm. So, you know, I, I think something like this um, gives much, much more um, stricter controls on um, not just possession of firearms, but preventing um, incidents like we have witnessed and that take place in the US, such as mass shootings. Yeah, yeah no, no, definitely. Um, and, and that's why there, there needs to be some sort of policies um, that, that that need to be passed, isn't there? Even, but for instance, in the in the US, where so many different states have allowed it, um, there there should be some kind of thorough uh, check beforehand. And I believe some states do this. Um, number four is 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 a law that basically says that anyone who has committed a violent crime, uh, and they, they say that they don't care what level it is, they cannot access a gun. Um, and this is not just for a, a felony crime, but also a misdemeanor crimes as well, uh, because federal law also prohibits people who committed a felony from possessing a gun. Um, and, 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 and obviously the problem with, uh, with, uh, with felony crimes um, is that sometimes um, things don't reach that level, isn't it? They will just be protected as misdemeanors. Like, um, for instance, even somebody threatened to kill someone, cyber harassment or stalking, these are all misdemeanors. So if even if uh, someone is uh, has a, is this on their, on their portfolio, um, they obviously should not have access to a gun as well. Um, like you were saying earlier as well. Um, we mentioned in our introduction that uh, there's already been more than 300 mass shootings this year in the US alone. Um, so why do you think we have uh, seen such a big rise in the number of mass shootings in uh, 2022? Right. Um, well, I, I think there may be a number of reasons for this. Um, and certainly, you know, it would be a bit unfair to rule out uh, mental health <laughs> as well because I think there's always... Um, a lot of the time there is a, a connection between uh, mental health and um, mass shootings because you know, it just doesn't make sense for someone who's in their right mind to just 
go into a public place. Um, however, um, it will be interesting to understand um, a bit more details on on why these uh, mass shootings um, have increased. You know, maybe um, there are certain individuals who felt they were inspired um, for whatever reason uh, to go into a school or a public place uh, to perpetrate these crimes. Um, <clears throat> so to answer the question, um, you know, there may well be uh, various reasons. There could be um, it could be personal reasons. There could be uh, someone who was influenced, but. Again, you know, it's very difficult to determine the, the reason why it's on the increase, but unfortunately, we are seeing it happen all too often. Um, however, once these um, circumstances and incidents um, have been investigated, um, it will be interesting to review those statistics and and um, facts as to what you know what the underlying causes were. Um, I was reading um, something only yesterday. Uh, um, when I was, uh, you know, so um, yeah, it was to do with uh, mass shootings, um, and and the percentage I believe in relation to uh, mental health was not that high, mm-hmm. and which was quite surprising for me because my expectation or you know, sort of my view would have been that the um, the number of uh, individuals or the, the people who were responsible for these crimes um, would be suffering with some sort of uh, mental health Ill- illness. Um, so I think um, if, if the number of the percentage of these individuals is not that high, um, it will be very interesting to um, you know get some details as to you know what the main or the majority of um, individuals' motives are behind um, you know perpetrating these acts of, of crime and violence. Um, I, know, I know at one stage, um, you know perhaps not too long ago, um, there was a lot of um, for, especially after 9/11, unfortunately, there was a lot of focus on uh, Muslims, um, where you know any incident which involved um, some level of violence would immediately be headlined as um, terrorism. You know, which I think was highly unfair because when you see a similar uh, or perhaps worse uh, crime being committed by um, a, a non-Muslim, you know, do we see that a headline? Uh, um, as terrorism, mm-hmm. no. Usually, it's 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 something else like mental health or you know lone wolf yeah. or you know something not related to terrorism. So you know again, it's it's you know a, a bit unfair and um, yeah, it would, it would be good to get the view on um, you know what the main uh, motivation is for a majority of these of these mass shootings. Uh, Naeem, that uh, point you made there was uh, extremely, extremely important and very valid as well. It's um, if uh, you, if our listeners just take the time out, uh, um, look up perhaps the, uh, you know, sort of mass shootings that have happened, and then compare them uh, with um, uh, issues of um, compare them with articles of um, terrorism and see how they are labelled differently. And see how one is labelled mass shooting, one is labelled terrorism, even though the uh, the definition of terrorism is act, uh, like causing an act of terror. It's not based on your ethnicity, but um, right. and you know, going. Um, I will give you a chance to address that, but just uh, for our next question for you as well is um, regarding um, it's regarding police officers. Um, 
sorry, essentially civilians owning guns and what what you as a police officer think about this? Um, so from a UK perspective, um, it's it's an actually an indictable offence um, for a civilian to be carrying a firearm without a licence. So meaning if they have no um, valid um, justification. So I can give you an example. Um, we have people, uh, civilians, who do carry um, firearms, for example, like a shotgun, um, where they have a hobby of clay pigeon shooting, for example. Um, there are individuals who, uh, you know, work in in, a, in an environment where they need to control animals, um, as well as people who go out hunting as a hobby. Um, they will go through the rigid um, application process of um, applying for a firearms license, and which does have an expiry date as well, by the way. Um, so in that regard, if the um, individual has gone through the application process, they've been screened, they've been vetted, they've been, they've been interviewed, they need to actually attend an interview at the local police station. Um, and then the authority lies with a chief uh, superintendent, the borough commander, to give them the permission to carry uh, or be authorized to hold a, a firearms license under the Firearms Act. Um, with, with that regard, it's, it's you know it's it's in line with law and it's controlled. Um, but for civilians carrying um, firearms um, through the black market without um, the license um, is an absolute danger. Um, as a simple, well, just possession alone, as an example, possession of a firearm, alarm, uh, a firearm alone um, is an offence in itself. So you know without them actually using the the weapon, um, it is an indictable offence, meaning it can carry sentencing in, in prison uh, for a number of years, which is which is um, absolutely the correct thing because someone carrying a firearm is a threat and danger to to themselves, to society, uh, putting people's lives at risk without the, the um, appropriate controls in place. So, to answer the question. Um, Civilians um, owning and, and carrying guns um, is um, absolutely um, not correct. You know, there, there is no requirement for civilians. Um, they were very different to the United States, of course, um, but there's no need to carry um, firearms for civilians. And um, interesting, interestingly, I always get asked um, a question quite frequently um, from a lot of uh, tourists when I'm out and about in London. Um, you know, why do UK police officers not carry firearms um, where you know most other police forces around the world do? Um, and I think the answer to that always is, you know, there, there's no... I mean, of course, there are firearms officers who are properly trained to be firearms police officers in certain um, units. Um, however, for, for general police constables, um, you know, we do have sufficient... Equipment on us, like incapacitor, incapacitating sprays, handcuffs, and and, and our buttons, for example. Um, so, which do deter a lot of people, and so the requirement for firearms is not really necessary. But also, I think because of the, the laws, um, where civilians do not have you know, an immediate right to bear or or possess firearms, there's there's no requirement for uh, or real requirement for officers to be carrying um, firearms. So. I hope that answered the questions. Yeah, people, civilians owning um, guns, there needs to be a valid and lawful reason for them to do so. And um, 
you know your um uh, your answers have left us left us with uh, not only a lot of information but a lot of questions as well and for example um perhaps at a future show we can compare um you know where whether having no guns is is actually more beneficial and perhaps what um what what the comparison of knife crime is as well unfortunately we have run out of time for today though uh, so thank you so much Naeem for joining us today and uh, we wish you all the best Jazakallah for having me thank you thank you peace be upon you that was Naeem Huck um, serving in a metropolitan police since 2013 and uh, he has been working in a variety of roles including emergency response safer neighbourhoods interled operations um, and plain clothes operations as well. Also supporting the outreach department in promoting and driving the recruitment of new police officers. Uh, we are fast approaching the end of today's show where we have looked at inflation and recession as our first topic and also our second topic being mass shootings and what uh, needs to be done to prevent them. Um, as a final quote, he is not strong or powerful who throws people down, but he is strong who masters his anger by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Here's the nine o'clock news.